0: We are up to mitzvah number five, but because mitzvah number five relates to the Pesach offering, and by my calculation, there's not one mitzvah that relates to the passive passive offering, there's about 17. We're gonna try to do today 13 of those 17 mitzvahs. I'm gonna list the 17 mitzvahs, and then we'll try to cover 13 because there's a lot of common themes, overlapping themes between these mitzvahs. Now, it's important to stress, there are many other Pesach Passover related laws, such as laws of matzah. We eat matzah. We don't eat chametz. We don't eat leavened bread. There's the general celebration of the of the festivals, which is, which is its own mitzvah. There's the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. There is the mitzvah of retelling the Exodus story. There's many other commandments, mitzvahs in the Torah that are tangentially related to the Exodus, but the ones we're going to cover today are specifically related to mitzvah number five, the mitzvah of the Pesach offering. And I want to quickly go through the 17 mitzvos, broken down into five different categories. Uh, number one, there's the idea of preparing the Pesach offering. That's comprised of four separate commandments. Number one, to slaughter the animal the day before Pesach. Number two, to only engage in the Pesach offering once the chametz, once the leaven bread has been removed from your house. Uh, Number three and four is that it has to be done in Jerusalem. It cannot be done in your backyard. If you build a nice altar in your backyard, it is not a kosher place to offer a Pesach offering. It's got to be done in Jerusalem or before Jerusalem in the various places where the Mishkan, the tabernacle, was situated. And the leftovers or the, the various parts of the Pesach offering, of course, we eat it. It's consumed. But there are some parts of the animal that are burned on the altar. They have to be done that night. You can't burn it a month later. So that's the preparation of the Pesach offering. And those are four separate commandments. Uh, There's the consumption of the Pesach offering. That we have to eat it, number one. We have to eat it roasted, not cooked. Number two, we cannot take it outside of the home. So if you're eating it in a home, you can't walk out to the neighbor while holding the Pesach meat. That's number three. Number four, not to break a bone. You're not to break a bone in the animal. And number five, you cannot leave anything left over till the following morning. Everything has to be consumed that night. By the way, we have a Seder now, uh, every Pesach, that is modeled after the celebration that was done in the times where we had a temple and there was a celebration in the night, the eve, the, the first night of Pesach. We revisit a lot of these themes during the Seder, of course, we don't have a Pesach offering, uh, but the Afikomen, for example, is the last matzah that we eat in the evening is modeled or it's a remembrance for the Pesach offering. There are three people that are disqualified from consuming from the Pesach offering. Each one of them is a separate mitzvah. Number one, if it's a Jewish heretic. Number two, if it's someone who is either not Jewish or hasn't fully converted. And number three is someone who is uncircumcised. And even if someone is uncircumcised for halachic reasons, for example, if someone is a hemophiliac, God forbid, they cannot be circumcised, but still they're not allowed to eat from the Pesach offering. Uh, there are four more mitzvahs related to a makeup date. If someone is not able to make the Pesach on the 15th day of Nisan, which is the day of Pesach, they make it a month later, and the four mitzvahs related to, le- to that and there's a, a 17th mitzvah related to the carbon khadija which is essentially another sacrifice and more meat that you eat on pesach because the pesach offering everyone only has a very small amount of meat you have an animal it could have hundreds of pounds of meat but there'll be hundreds of people or even thousands of people that eat that one small little bit as long as they eat the size of an olive's volume, that is sufficient for them to fulfill their responsibility of eating from the Pesach offering. But if people want to have more meat for their celebration, then they have a separate sacrifice, which is more states, more food for the celebration. So those are a quick survey of the 17 different commandments that we have related to the Pesach offering and to the celebration of the first night of Pesach. Now, there are common themes that are revisited in these mitzvahs. So, for example, in general, Pesach, it's the founding event or it memorializes the founding event of our our nation, the exodus, and the subsequent 50 days later, Ah, uh, the Sinai experience. These are the events that founded our nation, and therefore, it's not a surprise that we have many activities, many mitzvot that are going to be invoking those events. So that's not that that's something we should be anticipating. And therefore, you know, there's many miracles that happened. Like our our nation, our religion was kickstarted with miracles, and miracles are God revealing Himself and teaching us. Lessons, And therefore, it's important to remember those miracles because those are the founding principles. Those revelations are the founding principles of our religion. And therefore, it's not a shock that there's many commandments that we're told to don't forget to remember those miracles. In addition, doing this exercise is going to strengthen our faith. It's very important not to miss out on the Pesach message. And therefore, there's so many different activities that we're supposed to do. And finally, there's the idea of going through the transformation of the Exodus. We were where we were freed from bondage. We were slaves and then we became like royalty. We became from slaves of Pharaoh to being labeled a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. We became like children of God. We're princes and princesses. There's this transformation. We were slaves and now we're like kings. And a lot of those ideas are manifest in the Pesach offering. So that's the general overview. I want to go through some of the details of of this mitzvah. So the first thing is that we have to actually offer this sacrifice the day before Pesach. So Pesach begins on the 15th day of Nisan. And the day before, the 14th day of Nisan, what's called Erev Pesach, That's the busiest day of the Jewish calendar. In the morning, we're trying to get rid of all the chametz, all the leavened bread. That's the morning activity. Once that's done, you have the afternoon or mid-morning to afternoon activity till the evening, which is now is the only time to sacrifice the animal. Beforehand, we already have to be part of a group. So if I have an animal, I have a sheep, for example. This is my Pesach offering. I'm not going to eat the whole sheep. We have to finish the whole sheep by tomorrow morning. I have to be part of a group of 500 people that this is our sheep. And we have to have a representative taking the sheep to Jerusalem. or We probably all are already in Jerusalem. But going to the temple and not losing track and not swapping animals because this is our animal. And no one else can partake in our animal because we're part of this group. And we cannot partake in anyone else's animal. So it's a lot of logistics if you just think about it. The Talmud even describes the chaos or the control chaos that reigned in a temple on the eve of Pesach. You have thousands, maybe tens of thousands of people in the temple grounds. Tons of sheep. can you imagine how much noise, what it smelled like. And everyone's kind of trying to keep track of their animal. And making sure that it's an efficient process and the Talmud of the tribes that they would have shifts there was three shifts there's a whole group of people part of the first ship shift they try to process it as quickly as possible and then they clear out the they clear out the temple and bring in the next shift and this is done over you have six or seven hours to get this all done obviously it's a logistical nightmare but the whole year everyone's looking forward this is the the central event of the nation the pilgrimage of all the Jews from all over the world traveling to Jerusalem and going to make this incredible celebration on, on Pesach. And it's kind of similar to what we have today. You know, we have Jewish families across the world on Pesach, on the night of Pesach, getting together, coming from different places, going to visit your parents, having parents come visit you, siblings. It's, it's kind of like this get-together event that is modeled essentially after what happened in 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 Jerusalem on Pesach. Now, it's interesting that there's only two positive mitzvot that are so important, so central to what the Almighty wants from us in commandments that if someone neglects to do them, if someone says, I'm not interested, they are cutting themselves off. They are disenfranchising themselves from the Jewish people. There are many mitzvahs, many commandments that are negative commandments, prohibitions, that if people transgress them, it's so severe that they're cutting themselves off from the Jewish people. But there's only two positive mitzvahs of the 248 positive mitzvahs. There's only two of them that contain that very harsh penalty, essentially, of someone divesting themselves, someone excluding themselves from the Jewish people, cutting themselves off. And that is A, the first one that we had a few weeks ago, which is – the bris milah circumcision and B, the Pesach offering. And these are the two pillars of our relationship. The Talmud even makes a connection between the blood of the Pesach and the blood of the circumcision. Like these are like the lifeblood of the Jewish nation. And therefore, if someone voluntarily says, I am not interested. This is not for me. Then they are opting out of being part of the collective Jewish nation. And that, of course, is very, is very harsh. And therefore, one of the mitzvahs that we're told is that it cannot be done in a private session. So it used to be, the temple was built by Solomon, that's about 400 years after Joshua conquered Israel. So you have a tabernacle, Moshe builds the tabernacle a year after the Exodus, and that essentially is this mobile temple that ends up in a lot of different places. And until the temple is built in Jerusalem, the permanent building, the, the, the actual uh, permanent resting place of the Shechina, until that's built, a lot of people are able to build their private altars. So if you live in the uh, northern part of Israel or you live some other place, it's a schlep to get to Shiloh or to wherever that's the, the Mishnah, the tabernacle is currently situated, you're actually allowed to build a private altar. It's called a bama. And you'll have to offer sacrifices there if you wanted. Now, to be clear, once the temple is built, was built, once Solomon builds a permanent temple, all those other private altars are no longer valid. However, there was a significant chunk of history where there were private altars in addition to one central altar altar in the tabernacle and there's another mitzvah here that we're told that even when the private altars are a thing they're not now but even when they were a thing there's one sacrifice that cannot be offered on a private altar and that's the Pesach offering and the idea is that this is something which is so central to be done together in unison all of Israel congregating together in one central location, having this magnificent event, all of us together. And therefore, even though there was a time in history where private altars were a kosher venue to offer sacrifices, this sacrifice is not allowed to be done there. Moreover, another mitzvah, that we're not allowed to offer the Pesach offering until all the chametz, all the leavened bread has been disposed of. It's a prohibition. If someone has not finished burning their chametz, they cannot start the process of preparing the Pesach. And it's almost like a cutoff. There's this pre-Pesach world where there's still chametz, there's still unleavened bread, you're still living in that kind of environment. And then there's this point in time where now you're transitioning. And of course, there's a lot of meaning behind the matzah and the chametz and this transition, these two different worlds that we're temporarily kind of going into seven days of Pesach mode and everything that it represents. But it's very important that there has to be this line in the sand where, okay, now we're transitioning towards Pesach mode and we cannot bring any of our chametz mode with us. Even today, we have to get rid of the chametz several hours before Pesach begins. I think most years, it's around 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock, in the morning, in the afternoon, where that's the deadline for not even eating. There's an earlier deadline we're not allowed to eat chametz many hours before Pesach actually begins. And then there's a time we have to get rid of all the chametz, which is maybe an hour later. And that is, again, all modeled after this procedure, this process that we don't have anymore, the Pesach offering, because that was done at a much earlier juncture in the day. We have another mitzvah to burn the... Leftover fats on the altar that night. Uh, I, I know whenever we talk about sacrifices, there's going to be a lot of sacrifices in our, in our surveying of mitzvahs and our discovery mitzvahs. When we talk about sacrifices, people get a little uncomfortable. Uh, it's not something that we're used to in our, uh, in our current life in modern times. Uh, but of course it does play a big part in the Torah. And we're going to discuss what, what it means. What are the various reasons behind it? Once we get to Leviticus, right now we're still in the middle of Exodus, uh, chapter 12. Uh, But this is a sacrifice. And a sacrifice, there's all different kinds of sacrifices. But one thing that's across the board by all sacrifices is that there's some parts of the animal that are not eaten and instead are burned. And again, we might have a hard time understanding what is going on. What is this idea? What's the spiritual gain that we're gaining? What benefit are we garnering with burning animals on the altar? That's a good question. We're going to get to that. But – here we're told there's a specific time by which this has to be done. You cannot allow it to linger indefinitely to process the Pesach offering. Of course, the majority of the animal is going to be consumed. So that's not so strange. You know, we, if unless you're a vegan or a vegetarian, you eat meat. So it's not that crazy to take an animal to kill it and to eat its flesh. Like that's something that happens quite commonly. So that part of it's not strange, at least in our eyes. But here we're told, with sacrifices, there's certain certain parts of it that are going to be burned on the altar. And the Pesach offering cannot be burned indefinitely. It has to be burned that night. So there's a huge fire on the altar, and the emurim, which is like the innards, like the various parts of the animal that are not being consumed, are going to be burned that night. What about the consumption of the Pesach offering? So we kind of got, we got through the preparation. You have to go to Jerusalem. You have to sort of slaughter the animal at a specific time. You have to process the sacrifice within a given time period. And then you have to eat it. And the mitzvah is you got to eat it the, the eve, the, the night of the 15th, which is the 14th after, after sundown. And there's, of course, certain parameters of when you're supposed to eat it. If you've been to a Seder that's got a little long, we always have to try to eat the afikomen. Which is the last pizza matzah that we eat on Pesach right after the meal. You always have to eat the afikomen before halachic midnight. Why? Because you have to eat the Pesach offering before halachic midnight, and therefore you have to eat the afikomen, which is modeled after it before halachic midnight. Now it's interesting, we're told details about how you have to process this. Do so you have a sheep? You're offering the sheep. What do you do with the meat? Could you fry it? Could you cook it? We're told in the Torah, it's a mitzvah in the Torah, that we cannot eat it partially cooked or or roasted or cooked in water. It has to be roasted on the fire. It has to be a barbecue. It's a very strange mitzvah that we're told. The meat has to be processed in a certain way, and only that way, only that method of cooking it is valid. And in fact, in a, in a seder plate, there is a little chicken that we put that's roasted, and you're not supposed to eat it. In fact, you're not supposed to eat anything that's roasted on the night of Pesach, on the Seder. You're not supposed to because it may look like you're eating from the Pesach offering, which of course we're not allowed to do yet. And here we're told that the Pesach offering has to be roasted. And it seems kind of strange. Well, what's this idea that you have to roast it? Why? What's wrong with cooking it? Why can you fry it? Why can I have? It seems so odd that the Torah tells us uh, the actual way of processing this this meat. Says the Sefer HaChinuch, why is it roasted? He says something very interesting. The way of princes and ministers is to eat roasted food, to eat barbecues, because it's very tasty and it's very good. But the rest of the nation, the simpletons, they can only get a little bit of meat. And if they get it, they have to cook it, because when you roast something, it shrinks. And when you cook it, sometimes it even expands. And therefore, the king and the princess, they're not worried about the calorie count. There's plenty of food. And therefore, they can make it in the best way, even if it means they're going to compromise on the calories. Whereas the poor people, they always need to worry how to maximize. How do I maximize this piece of meat? You know, how do I, you could add all kinds of other stuff. Uh, you could cook it and let it expand a little bit. But on Pesach, we're remembering that we left Egypt. We were in bondage and now we're freemen and we became a nation of, of, of essentially teams. We're children of God, so to speak. And therefore, when we're remembering that, we have to eat in a way that is symbolizing our royalty. You know, if you look at the the, the menus in fancy restaurants, the problem with fancy restaurants, they always give you tiny little portions. He's in like, I'm paying so much money for a tiny portion, it doesn't make any sense. And remember like in in yeshiva, like when you're in a very tight budget, so if you go out to eat, you're always trying to think like, how do, how do I maximize what I could get? That That's a calculation that a poor person makes. But in a fancy restaurant and certainly with teens, they don't need to calculate the, uh, uh, the calories. How do I maximize this? No, they just want to have the best. And therefore, they could even have a small portion. You roast it and that's the way to symbolize that we are royalty on this night. Once the night is over, you have to consume all the, all the animal. So if you remember, we spoke about by the, the laws of, of the sciatica. I I mentioned that you have to learn how to do this Nikkor process of removing the various, uh, nerves that are prohibited because the entire animal of the Pesach offering has to be consumed on that night. And you can't sell it to non-Jews. You can't do that. You can't do what we do today. I say, oh, just, we don't want to deal with it. We'll just sell it, sell it off to the other market. You have to eat the whole thing. And you cannot have anything left over. You can't take a doggy bag home. Again, this is another theme where it's trying to exhibit royalty. You know, the king doesn't worry. Oh, what am I going to eat tomorrow? I have a decent food today. What am I gonna to do tomorrow? Let me save a little bit for tomorrow. No, the king is like he doesn't take home uh Darty Batch from the restaurant. There's no leftovers on the menu in the palace. And therefore, again, to symbolize this idea that we're teens on this night and to remember our our freedom and to kind of instill that into our heart, Tor doesn't allow us to have leftovers. Uh, not with the Pesach offering, not with the concomitant Chagigo offering. And another mitzvah is that, you know, I'll take it outside. You, you, if you have meat in, in this house, in this tent or whatever, this venue, you can't take a piece of meat. Look at the steak that I have and go show it to the neighbor. And again, this is a similar theme, says the Sefer Chinuch. When someone is poor and then they're suddenly presented with a bounty of food, Right away, take pictures of it. I guess that would be the modern day equivalent. You got to post it online. Look what I got. <laughs> uh, look at this meal. Look how much food there is. I can't believe it. But if you're a king, you know, that's or uh, if you're a prince or a princess, this is not something that is unique. And this is an amazing mitzvah in the Torah. One of the 13 mitzvahs of the Torah is you cannot take the Pesach offering outside of the house to show it to anyone else. It's such an interesting mitzvah. But again, it's the same kind of theme that – if you're going to exhibit on this night the feelings of royalty, you have to play the part. The part of playing the part is that you're not going to be even impressed, so to speak. Like this is, this is what we do every night. You can't run to the neighbor. Look what we got. This is incredible. I got to show you pictures of my, uh, of my food. The last mitzvah with respect to the consumption of the Pesach offering is that you're not allowed to break the bone. And sometimes, people don't do this as often as they used to, but like, apparently inside the bone, there's like marrow. And some people like to crack it, and then like, gnaw at it. And here we're told by the Sefer Khinach, again, the similar theme, this is not the ways of kings. Kings don't crack open bones and suck out the marrow. And therefore, there's a prohibition in the Torah to not break the bone of the Pesach offering. It's not respectable for a king the way he writes is is to to take like a bone and nibble at it like a dog it's not proper and there that's only for the simpletons the peasants do that on Pesach we're kings and we're trying to instill this into our heart every year on Pesach at this time we do all kinds of things that remind us of the stature that we achieved at the time of the Exodus. And therefore, with with all these things, with all these ordinances governing our behavior on this night, hopefully these ideas will be instilled in our heart. Let's move on to who can and who cannot partake in this mitzvah. So, number one is a heretic, even if they're even if they're Jewish, but if they're if, if they're not part of the ideas of the Exodus, if they're not buying into the whole development that we achieved at the exodus became part of god's nation we developed a relationship someone has opted out of that it's of course quite logical if they're not going to buy into the faith why should they partake in the event the central event the Pesach offering which is most emblematic of that development that we achieved at the exodus in addition, this, for the same reason, that someone who is either a non-Jew or someone whose conversion has not been completed, because they are not part of this fraternity, they cannot partake in this uh, in this mitzvah. And finally, the third person that cannot partake is the uncircumcised one. Again, the symbol of this fraternity, uh, the symbol of the closeness that we have with the Almighty, is the circumcision. And therefore, if someone is uncircumcised, even if it's not because of their own fault. They're a hemophiliac, circumcision will be dangerous for them. They're not going to be judged for not being circumcised. It's not their fault. It wasn't their choice. But they cannot partake in this mitzvah. I want to conclude this discussion uh with a very powerful idea that the Sefer Khenak brings. He actually brings this in the midst of not breaking a bone. And he asks, I think, the question that maybe is is jumping out from this whole discussion of the Pesach offering. You know, we're supposed to remember the Exodus, and we're supposed to have uh, feelings of royalty and things like that, but there's so many mitzvot. By our count, there's 17 different mitzvot that are related to this one thing, the Pesach offering, that is in the temple. We hope to have a temple again to, to do it again, but it's, it's, it's all going back to the Exodus, and there's many, many other mitzvot that all go back to the Exodus as well to remember the miracle. And the question that he asks is, why don't we just have one mitzvah, that is, remember the Exodus, let's say even one for matzah, one for the sacrifice of the Pesach offering, why so many details, why so many mitzvahs, why so many reminders for these miracles that have happened? And then he tells us an idea, a theme, that he's going to revisit several times throughout his book, and it's one of the themes of why we do mitzvahs. So it's very central, and therefore I want to go through it in detail. And he says that people are influenced by their behavior. When someone does something, when someone engages in something, eventually that actually filters in to their heart. Even if there is a completely wicked person in their heart, all they have internally is evil. But if they invest their efforts in their behavior to do Torah and mitzvahs, to do good, even if it's not for the right reasons, that's going to influence their heart. And this is the famous line that he says, The heart is influenced by the action. The action that you do will influence the heart. The wicked person internally, if their actions are righteous, eventually that will filter in and affect their hearts. Conversely, if someone is very righteous in their heart, and very proper and very straight in their heart. And they're very desirous of Torah internally. But however, if their actions are evil, if their actions are antithetical to Torah, that will in, in fact filter into their heart and eventually it will corrupt them internally. And therefore he quotes the Talmud. The Talmud says that the have wanted to benefit us, benefit the Jewish people. And therefore we have lots and lots of mitzvot and lots and lots of Torah. There's many details. And the question that maybe we could ask in mitzvahs in general, so many, 613, all these details, all these laws, why so much? Simplify it. Do one mitzvah, you're good. That's a good question. Of course, the Talmud, Talmud says, no, no they might not want to benefit us so that we should be constantly engaged in mitzvahs and that will affect our heart. Of course, the ultimate objective is our heart, but how do you affect the heart? Through the actions. The actions, the external actions, penetrate the internal essence of of man, And therefore, he advises the reader, examine your actions and your deeds, because after your actions are deeds is how you will be drawn. And don't be secure and say, listen, I believe. I'm a believer. I believe in God. My heart is complete and perfect. It's in the right place. What's the difference? What do I lose if my actions sometimes deviate from the purity of my heart? What, what do I have to lose? And says, no, you're making a big mistake because you will be drawn after your behavior. He concludes the piece by saying, now you don't have a question as to why we have so many mitzvahs relating to the Pesach offering because it's so important to remember these ideas, these themes of the miracles of the Exodus and what that means with respect to Torah at large, what it means for us as a nation, how it impacts us as individuals after doing all these things on pesach even if we're not aware of how a leads to b but it does after your behavior your heart will be drawn and therefore these mitzvahs, there's so many details about that and so much focus on it and so many actions that we need to do that of course is going to filter and change us change us internally so that's the mitzvah the mitzvah of the pesach offering it's the it's one of the pillars of of Jewish religion and uh, it's one of the things that we cannot fulfill today. We have the Afikoman, and a lot of the themes of the Seder are modeled after it. Um, a lot of what we do on Pesach is trying to evoke it. We don't have it. I always tell my children, what's the first thing? Maybe I shouldn't release the secret, but we're friends here. <laughs> the first thing that we do... Once we hear on the news or we read on the tweets that Messiah has tam- has come, the temple's being rebuilt. The first thing you do is you book a ticket for Pesach to Jerusalem to Israel, because if you think about, it, there's gonna be a mad rush. Once people kind of get their bearings, everyone's gonna run to Expedia or United.com and gonna run to book that because they realize, oh no, I gotta be there for the pilgrimage. And, there's, and before you know it, the prices are going to skyrocket. It. And therefore, the first thing you do is you run book a ticket for you and your whole family to Jerusalem for Pesach. Because there's going to be 15 million other people who are going to think of the same thing. But they won't necessarily, we're going to be ready for it. First thing you do, you, you go book the ticket. And they say, no, what do you mean? The Lufthansa is going to add flights. I don't know. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. And get in while it's uh, still affordable. So that's my advice for everyone. I'll share it. <laughs> I'll share my secret. And uh, yeah, so that's 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 the mitzvah. A lot of details in the preparation, of the mitzvah, and the consumption of this. Uh, who's disqualified? Who's not not disqualified? There's again an entire section. Of four other mitzvahs related to the makeup date. If someone's not able to come to Jerusalem, not able to come to the temple before uh, during the actual Pesach, there's the second Pesach a month later. Uh, we'll get to that, uh, Mitzvah 380, 381, 382, and 383. We'll get it, uh, get to it uh, when the time comes. We've covered Mitzvahs 5, 6, 7, and 8. Next time we're going to do Mitzvah 9. I look forward to it.